Let's come to the Lord in prayer again, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for this time in the service when we open your word to study it, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will come and be our helper, as indeed he has promised to be. We pray that he will illuminate the pages of the word and illuminate our hearts with its meaning, Lord, that we may take in the message of the scriptures. And Lord, help us as Jesus taught us to be not only good hearers, but doers of the word also. And we ask for the grace and the help of God to do that. In his name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me to the book of Psalms tonight. We're looking at Psalm 131. Psalm 131. And uh, just a little psalm, but a beautiful message. Psalm 131, it says, a song of ascents of David. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Please keep your Bibles open there. Some years ago at an art class uh, for senior citizens, the subject for the next project was given out by the teacher who said, I want you all to paint a picture of peace, a picture of peace, and uh, to bring them along to the next class. Well, the group dispersed and then came back some weeks later and various people had uh, followed through this project and painted what they thought of was peace. Some painted a picture of a cliched dove with an olive branch in it. Uh, Some people painted soldiers shaking hands on a battlefield. Others painted beautiful scenery. But perhaps the one that caught everybody's imagination more than any other was a seaside picture which one of the uh, gentlemen had painted. And the interesting thing about this was it was a rugged coastline somewhere in Cornwall or somewhere in which there was rolling black thunderclouds approaching. There was a rough sea and there was evidence of a strong wind blowing with the trees bending. But up in the cliff face tucked away in a little crag in the rock, sat a little bird in its nest, looking out at the storm in perfect peace. And the wise old man who painted it said, that is peace. And he was exactly right. You see, in biblical terms, peace is not the absence of trouble, but it is the presence of the Lord. It's the security that we have in him. In John chapter 16, verse 33, the Lord Jesus Christ said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And if you want a, a biblical picture of it, think about Peter, the Apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 12 
where we read that Peter had been arrested by King Herod and was ready to be executed the next day as James had previously been executed and yet there he is in the prison cell asleep, chained to the guards. Now that is the biblical vision of peace. Again, it's not the absence of problems or trouble, it is the presence of the Lord. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, because many people in this world are looking for peace, aren't they? Uh, They go to yoga classes or they go to mindfulness classes. Some people turn to drink, some people turn to drugs. Someone said in the 1960s, we took drugs to make the world look weird. Today, we take drugs to make the world look better. And uh, those of us who are Christians should be models of true peace if we can instead of the upright being uptight we want the world to see that we have peace in the Lord Jesus and to help us to do that I would like us to have a look at Psalm 131 tonight because this psalm which is one of the psalms of ascent or degrees as it's called in the King James was probably one of the psalms that they sang when they went up to Jerusalem they ascended up to Jerusalem we know that there were 15 steps in the temple courts as well and we know the priests stood on these steps and sang these psalms so the ascents can be in that way too. But the point is that in this psalm, David talks about his peacefulness in the Lord. And if you know anything about David's life, you know that David's life wasn't trouble-free at all. He was a man who had been on the run from King Saul when he was younger. And then later on, he had to run as well, even from his own son, Absalom. He had his fair share of big T. But nevertheless, in this psalm, he shows us that he had peace. And he shows us three biblical secrets for peace. And I want to share those with you from this psalm tonight. They are number one, contentment. Number two, containment. And number three, confidence. And these three together are like the three legs on a a three-legged wooden stool. If you take away one of them, you won't have peace. You need all three in place to have peace. So let's have a look at these words. It's just a short passage, as you'll see. It's uh, not a a big, long psalm, but it'll have a message which I hope we'll be able to take away with us from this tonight. First of all, then, David talks about contentment in verse 1, where he says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Contentment. And let me say straight away, if you haven't got contentment, then you won't have peace, whatever else you do have. You know, I heard about some soldiers in World War II who had been separated from their platoon and they were in the uh, North African desert and uh, they were crossing and they had become separated from their men and they had run out of water. And they knew that they were in a desperate situation. And what they came across absolutely amazed them because they found some pipes, huge pipes traveling through the desert, which they could hear had water running through them. And they put it together. They thought this was the Germans had put these pipes here to carry water to their troops uh, in the same sort of region. So what they did was, because they were so desperate, they got their machine guns and they shot holes in these pipes. And then they lay underneath to let the water flood into their faces, into their mouths. They were so thirsty. 
But no sooner had they done so than they wished they hadn't. Because those pipes were being tested at that time by the Germans with salt water. And so they then had a raging thirst uh, that was uh, even worse than before. You know, that's what it's like when you haven't got contentment. You want desperately to have more. You know, Barry Humphreys, the uh, actor who died just recently, who we've heard about a lot in the news. Did you know his autobiography was called More Please? More Please. Basically, I haven't got enough. I want more. And that's how the world is. But the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.11 said, For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And that's a remarkable thing, isn't it? Notice he had to learn it. Even apostles have to learn spiritual values and truths. And Paul said he had to learn this. It didn't come automatically, but he did learn it. And I believe David had learnt it as well, as we look here in this verse. Because as we look in David's words, we can see that we need contentment in three areas. I need contentment in my station. David says in verse 1, Lord, my heart is not haughty. Now, uh, I know I'm using the New King James and the phrases may be uh, alternately worded in the NIV, but you'll, you'll get the gist of this. David says, uh, my heart is not haughty. Now, what is he talking about here? My heart isn't proud. It isn't lifted up with pride. And what's he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that he never set his heart on a high-valued place uh, in society. David, who had been the shepherd boy, the youngest son of Jesse, was content to look after his father's flock. And this was something that David had. He, he wasn't haughty in his attitude towards his station in life. He had no uh, false ideas about uh, himself being elevated. And yet his brothers did think he did. We remember in 1 Samuel 17, when David goes to see the brothers who are out fighting the Philistines, and he ends up himself fighting Goliath, Eliab, David's brother, says to him, I know your pride. And the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. He was accused of being proud, but he wasn't. David said, I'm not haughty in my heart. And we see the truth of that in in 1 Samuel 18, where Saul actually is given the hand of, sorry, David is given the hand of King Saul's daughter. And he says these words, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am poor? And lightly esteemed. David never set his eyes on high position. And neither should we if we want peace. You know in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We read these words in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 20. Paul said let each one of you remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can't be made free rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were brought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Paul was encouraging the Christians at Corinth the same lesson here, to be content in the station in which God had called them. 
you know, I'm not a, a Shakespearean. Uh, I, I've got really no appetite at all for Shakespeare. I've got to be honest with you. But I did learn one fascinating thing that I didn't know about King Lear. Did you know in King Lear, there is one person who has only eight lines to read. And uh, this person in the play doesn't even have a name. Now, if you were an actor and you were giving this part, you might feel hard done by. I mean, when you go to see uh, Broadway or something and you see big signs out, who's playing King Lear? And it'll have the name of the big actor underneath. You'll never find this person, the actor's name, the nobody. (laughs) And yet, here's the interesting thing. That one person who has only eight lines, he's the only good person in the whole play. And he speaks up when an old man called Gloucester is about to be blinded by the king. And he ends up being killed very quickly. His his part looks like it's nothing. But actually, this person has the best part. And you know what? If we pray for contentment in our station, then we can leave the issue of where we're stationed in life to God, as David did. Remember, David didn't suffer, did he? Because he trusted God. God raised him up to be the king of Israel. God made his covenant with David from which the Lord Jesus came. And as it says in the book of Daniel, God puts down kings and raises up kings. And we certainly see that in the book of Samuel. Like, Ab- like Abraham Lincoln, he began life in a, a log cabin and he died and was buried in a president's tomb. We should be content with our station. I wonder if that describes you. I think it was Hudson Taylor who said to his sister when he was going out to the mission field, he said, dear sister, he said, pray for me that I I will be nothing before the Lord. She looked at him and said, brother, you are nothing. Take it by faith. (laughs) And we should remember that, shouldn't we? You know, that is where we are before the Lord. So be content with our station. My heart is not haughty. And then David says, nor my eyes lofty. And this teaches me that we should be content with our stuff. You see, David's uh, mind here, talking about his eyes being lofty, he's talking about what he can see, what he uh, sets his eyes on. And you remember James tells us, sorry, John tells us uh, that one of, the pro- one of the lusts of the flesh is the lust of the eyes. And we see things and we set our hearts on it. And interestingly enough, covetousness is such a powerful sin. It was even the sin that the Apostle Paul battled with more than anything else. In 1 Corinthians, chapter, sorry, Romans chapter 7, Paul said, I wouldn't have known what uh, covetousness was had the law not said, do not covetous, do not be covetous. And uh, he said, that was the one that got me in the Ten Commandments. And it's very easy to be like that. But David said my eyes aren't lofty I haven't set my sights on palaces or king's jewelry or staffs or fine clothes and things like this he was content with his stuff and that was a part of his secret of peace and you know this is true to elsewhere in scripture uh, it says in uh, the book of Philippians, doesn't it, that where Paul says that he had learned contentment, that he was content to be abased or abound. And that's so contrawise to our society today. Someone has said, because of uh, the, the fame now of retail therapy, whenever things go wrong, uh, when the going gets tough, the tough go shopping. 
And uh, so often that is the way we tend to think. We'll make ourselves happy by gaining more things. And yet, actually, that is not the secret to contentment. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be contempt. But, with, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And he was absolutely right. I always think of Demas in the book of uh, John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, the man who found the silver mine. And he invited the Christians on the pathway to come and join him, searching for silver, which they wisely turned down. But it was said of Demas, he fell into that pit and was never heard of again. What a warning to us as Christians not to be snared by the lust of things. We'll never find contentment in this world in our possessions. Money will grow wings, says the book of Proverbs, and fly away. I often say money talks, it says goodbye. And uh, that's, that's something why we will never find contentment in it. But we must also find contentment not only in our stuff, but in the scriptures. Paul's, uh, uh, David says a very important thing here at the end of verse 1. He says, Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Now, what is he talking about here? David certainly was uh, a man who had great understanding. It was to David that God gave the plans for the temple. And you remember in the book of Chronicles, he then gave the plans of the temple to Solomon, his son, to build it. It's a picture of the father uh, with the plan of salvation, giving it to the son who will finish the work. Uh, But this is David's great revelation from God. And then we see David had visions in in prophetic form in, in like Psalm 22, which gave the vision of the cross. God gave David no little amount of understanding and David certainly isn't endorsing ignorance. But there are things that are beyond us to understand. And we need to be content with what God has revealed in the scriptures. In Psalm 139, he says something similar. In verse 6, he says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. There are some things that only God knows. And we need to content ourselves with understanding the fact that God knows things that we don't. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 is a verse that has helped me immensely. Helps me a lot when I'm asked questions by non-Christians that I can't give answers to. It says this, the secret things belong to the Lord. But those things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. That we may do all the words of this law. In other words, God revealed to us everything we need to know in the scriptures. And the things we don't know We have to trust to him. So some questions about theology. We have to leave with the Lord. You know, the Pharisees used to debate how many angels could stand on the head of a pin. Um, I wish they had that amount of time to waste on that sort of debate. But you know what? 
it's irrelevant, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not for us to know such things. And such things are, are, are often uh, a distraction to us and a temptation and a danger. Remember back in Genesis chapter 3 how Eve was tempted with the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says in the Bible that she desired to be wise and she took the fruit uh, desiring to have wisdom that God didn't intend her to have. So David wisely says here that he is content. He is content not to concern himself with some great matters that are too profound for him to understand. Instead, he's content with what the Bible says. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, not to go beyond what is written. Stick with what God has written and you will be in the land that flows with milk and honey, the word of God. So contentment, this is the first thing we need to learn if we would be people of peace. I wonder, are you a content person? Are you content with your station or are you wanting to be better than everybody else? Are you somebody who's content with your stuff? Are you hungering always for other things? Are you content with the scriptures? So many are going looking today for extra biblical revelation. If only they would get more into the Bible, they would know more and grow that way. That's the way to be peaceful. First of all, contentment. Secondly, containment. And this is verse 2. This is the heart of this psalm. David says, surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I heard about a a man who couldn't sleep one night in America where you have uh, private doctors. And uh, he he couldn't sleep one night and he was still up till four o'clock in the morning. So he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll phone up my doctor. And he phoned the doctor at four o'clock in the morning and then uh, disturbed the doctor's sleep. And he said, doctor, I can't sleep. And the doctor said, no, neither can I. What are you trying to do? Start an epidemic? (laughs) Well, there's many people who are like this. They lack peace. And one of the reasons is that they don't have containment. Now, what do I mean by containment? By containment, I mean resting in the Lord. David said in verse 2, surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Calmed and quieted my soul. The old joke tells about a man who went to the doctors and said to the doctors, I feel like a pair of curtains. And the doctor said, pull yourself together. Right? Well, that's what containment is, pulling yourself together. And David says he did this to himself. He calmed himself and he quieted his own soul. Sometimes that's what we need to do. David was a master even at times of difficulty in doing this. Do you remember the time when he came back to the camp at Ziklag and he found that the people had been raided by the enemy and they'd taken captive the, 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 the people who were their family who were still in the camp. Everybody else was ready to stone David. But it says in that, that chapter at the end of the book of 1 Samuel, David strengthened himself in the Lord. He took control of his own emotions and sought the Lord and sought containment in him. He calmed and quieted his soul. You know, you'll never have peace when you're in a frenzy, will you? 
And that's sadly how often we all are. I I speak here with conviction uh, about myself when my sermons aren't going well. You know, we need to learn this. We need to learn to calm and quieten ourselves. And the image David uses here is of a weaned child with his mother. Now, a weaned child with his mother is uh, not a baby. It's not a baby who's dependent on his mother's milk. That baby will never be content and never be settled until it's fed. That's why Paul, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 2 that we're to desire the milk of the world like newborn babies because we're to be hungry for it like that. But a weaned child, as a child, is no longer dependent on his mother's milk immediately but trusts its mother to feed it at the time of the day. And you know, in the ancient world, they used to have celebrations when a baby was weaned. You remember they, Isaac Uh, When he was weaned, Abraham had a a festival for Isaac. It was actually when the uh, issue with Ishmael came about. But that's what they used to do, because the baby had been weaned from the mother. Now, what do we need to be weaned from? We need to be weaned from the world. We need to be weaned from fleshly things that we depend on. And instead, we need to put our dependence on the Lord and calm and quieten ourselves by trusting in him and how do we do that like a weaned soul child is my soul within me david says well i think the clue is in the word quiet the word quiet you know the most important part of your day is your quiet time your time with the lord my life was changed as a young christian when i was given a little booklet about the size of a matchbox and it was called quiet time quiet a time it was a little book by warren wisby published by back to the bible i don't know if you can even get it anymore it was about 10 pages long and it was about having your daily quiet time meeting with the lord and reading your bible and that became the foundation for my christian life and i can honestly say that when we're having our quiet times we're growing in faith and resting more and more in the lord As we take in the word of God, we learn more about the Lord. We learn more about his trustworthiness and our peace will grow accordingly. I remember hearing some years ago the story of a man who was... Actually, what what happened was I was in in our first house when we just got married and we used to uh, have Christian radio on on the radio. And I remember turning on one evening while I was doing the washing up. We didn't have a dishwasher in those days. And uh, there was a testimony on uh, this radio station, a man who was talking about his uh, experience. He was a, a, a disc jockey in a nightclub and he'd become a Christian. And uh, he, he, he was actually a very backslidden Christian. But he was living nocturnal hours. His life was totally messed up. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with music, but often the lifestyle that goes with that can be unchristian. And it was in this man's case. And one evening, or one morning, he came back from the nightclub, sat on the edge of his bed, and with a conviction in his heart, He said to God, God, my life is in a mess. Help me. He knew he was. As a Christian, he wasn't content. You'll never be content with the world because this world holds no satisfaction for the true child of God. And he said it was as if he heard a voice in his ear which said this, Give me the first hour of your day from now on and I'll take care of the rest. 
And he said, that's what I did. He said, every day or every night, because that's when he got up to go to work, he would get up an hour earlier and he'd spend half an hour in Bible and half an hour in prayer. And he just did that and carried on with his disc jockey thing. And you know what? God worked in his life through the word of God going in and praying to the Lord. And that man today is a pastor in a church in America. God turned his life around and he is now resting in the Lord. Are you resting in the Lord? This is what what containment is. Uh, When we're we're no longer frightened by uh, the things of the flesh and we're trusting in the Lord. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And uh, that's what we need, that quietness and confidence that comes from quietening our hearts in the presence of God. The third secret of peace is confidence. And this is the last verse of this little psalm, verse 3. David closes by saying, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. David's closing word here is that Israel and the Jewish people, and by us by extension, should put our confidence, our hope and our trust in the Lord God. And our confidence in him is one of the ways in which we can have peace. Hebrews 10 verse 35 says that with our confidence comes great reward. And I believe peace is one of those things. What was it that made the disciples frightened in the storm? You say it was because Jesus was asleep. No, it wasn't because Jesus was asleep. It's because they didn't have confidence that he was going to keep them in that storm. That's where their problem was. And that's where our problem is often as well. Often why we don't have peace is we forget the one we have uh, as our God and we don't have confidence in him. But we should do. David calls us to this. He says, hope in the Lord. Now, there's three ways here. He says, hope in his salvation. This phrase is not the first time it's been used. If you notice in the earlier Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 130, just before this in verse 7, uh, a psalm written about the salvation and forgiveness uh, it says this O Israel hope in the Lord for with the Lord there is mercy and with him is abundant redemption and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities we need to have confidence in God's salvation you know I meet so many Christians who've got no peace because they have no assurance of their salvation And they're worried all the time that because of some sin they've committed that God isn't going to accept them when they die. Listen, if you've rested your faith in Christ alone, then you are saved. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. We don't have to add to that our good works. It is by Christ alone that salvation comes. And I love those words in Romans 8.32. Who is it who brings a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. <laughs> I love that. You know, it's, it, it's, 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 who, who shall bring a charge against God's elect when it's God who justifies? It's nobody. God justifies us. And salvation is, is, is secure in him. How I praise God for that. How much peace comes through knowing assurance. All for sin. Uh, sorry, I've forgotten the words of the hymn. 
And then the second thing here is uh, we can have confidence in his sovereignty. If you look earlier again in this Psalms, in Psalm 121, uh, and our church members will remember this is our, our verse motto text for the year. Psalm 121, David, uh, assuming this is David, speaks of his confidence in God's sovereignty. He says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God is on the throne. Now, this is an interesting point. I I read in uh, one of the books uh, in preparation for this. The point that was, was made was this. David was separated from his throne. But he was confident because God was not separated from his. And that's the point, isn't it? God is on the throne and we can trust him. That means we can go to New Testament promises like Romans 8.28 and say that all things are working together for the good of those who loved him, who are called according to his purpose. He has everything under the control of his sovereignty. If he didn't, he wouldn't be sovereign. All things means all things. And that's where our faith should rest. And I found an illustration this week that I had to share because I know it's especially relevant to some people here tonight. And it's, about a, it's from a book of testimonies from missionaries, OMF missionaries, uh, and their different experiences of God's guidance. And a couple by the name of Martin and Margaret Dainton had been missionaries in Indonesia uh, since 1981. And their children were brought up on the mission field. They'd sent their son to uh, a missionary school, but it didn't go so well. So they didn't want to do the same with their daughter. And so they came back to the UK on on the recommendation of the OMF leadership. They came back to the UK. They were going to work uh, with OMF uh, in the UK, I think probably as representatives or something. And they were seeking the Lord for a place to live. Well, they knew the school they were going to send their daughter to was in Droitwich. All they needed to do now was find a house. And if you ever tried to match schools and houses together, you know why uh, I'm saying this. This is a great challenge to many people. They they met up with uh, the OMF leadership and one of them went with them uh, around Droitwich and they were looking for a house. Well, they, they couldn't find one. They had lunch, uh, had some fish and chips after visiting lots of uh, state agents, looking for houses in their price range. Everything is, of course, out of price range for a missionary. And on the way, uh, they decided the best thing to do would be to go back to the OMF headquarters and pray with the secretary, Ron Priest. Well, as they were on their way, both Martin and Margaret both had a flashback. They both remembered somebody who they had met in Worcester. And they thought, maybe this person knows someone who's got a house. So as they were going on their journey home, they called in at this house. They managed to navigate their way with memory uh, to the person's house. For me, that alone is a miracle to be able to do that in the days before Satnav. They went to the house. Not only did the lady answer the door and was in, but she recognized them. And she remembered Martin. And she remembered the conversations they had been having before. She even remembered the children. And they said, you know, what brings you here? And they said, well, we're looking for somewhere to, to, to live. A voice came from back in the house and said, what about Roger's house? And they said, who's Roger? 
Roger is a Baptist minister who has a house and it has some Australian nurses in it who are about to go home. He's looking for some Christians to rent his house. They said, we would love to know about it. They found out the rent was what they could afford and it was near the school. Well, God had obviously opened the door and they were pleased to get that house. But the story doesn't end there because on the day they moved in, and missionaries not having much possessions, they they moved themselves in with their car. (laughs) They turned up at the house and there was a man out the front and he was cutting the lawn. And they spoke to him and he was a Christian from the local church and he wanted to show some Christian love to the uh, missionaries who were moving in. And he said... uh, He said, yes, I wanted to do this for you. And they got talking with him and it turned out he had a daughter who went to that school and he was driving past every day. So not only had they now found a church, because this man had a church uh, they could take to, he had also offered to pick up their daughter every day to take her to the school and she would be going in with a friend. You think God isn't sovereign? He's got it covered. He's got it covered. And we can find confidence in his sovereignty as we seek him. I share that testimony for encouragement. And then thirdly, we can be confident in his second coming. You notice this psalm is followed by Psalm 132, which is a psalm about David's covenant. And in Psalm 132 verse 11, we're reminded the Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. Now, who's he talking about there? He's talking about the Lord Jesus, who's going to come and reign on David's throne. That was the promise given to Mary by the angel. And David had that confidence that God's promise of the second coming was going to happen. Jesus never sat on that throne in his first coming, but he will sit on it at his second coming when Christ comes again. And you know what? There's tremendous peace to be found from our confidence in the second coming. Because when the Lord Jesus comes, he's going to put things right. There's some things that won't be put right before then. But we can rest in the fact that when Christ comes, our loved ones who have died will be raised. Those who have been wronged will be righted. And Jesus will take the throne and will live in a righteous world. What a difference that makes to our peace when we have confidence in his second coming. So confidence is the third key there. And Isaiah 26 verses 3 to 4 encourages us by faith to look to the Lord in confidence. And it says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength as we bring this to a close i just want to say you know as christians we want to be people of peace people who have contentment in the things that god has given us and especially in his word containment we're holding ourselves and resting in the peace that god gives us through the lord jesus christ and that's the way of salvation by the way peace with god through the lord jesus christ resting in him And through confidence in our sovereign God. We need to be that. Someone has said one man reads his Bible and the world reads that one man. That's going to be true for you and me this week. We read our Bible, the world will read us. Let's be a testimony to the fact that we have peace that has come from our great God. We're going to sing our final hymn now this evening.